You there? Yeah. <laughs> and I'll start in verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, as, as, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came in to see the tomb. That is where they had lain Jesus, where they had put Jesus. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. Can you imagine this guy? He comes back and rolls back this huge stone, just sits down on it. I'm done. <laughs> My job for the day is done. Amen? His countenance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear. Now, they were standing there when all this took place. How did they not believe? And became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. Here are our words. He is not here, for he is risen. Amen? He's risen as he said. His word will not be made void, even by death. Ever. Period. And when I don't think I receive what, I, what he said... That's why I say it's always me and never him. Because he is risen, as he said, and everything is as he said. So he's risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And I wanted to, us to talk a minute about what resurrection or him being risen means for us. Agaro. To arouse from death or sleep, to cause to rise, to bring forth, to produce. Now, God produced the Son of God alive from death. Isn't that something? He produced him for the world to see as a testimony. Isn't that great? And in doing so, we also know from Ephesians, he led captivity captive, and he made a mockery <laughs> of the powers and principalities that were aligned against him. He made a mockery, a public spectacle, the Bible says, of them in doing this. Can you imagine? All their forces combined to kill what they thought was a man, just a man, right? And then here he is, risen from the dead, and they have no way to hold him, no way to contain him, no way to control him, and no authority over him. <laughs> and their whole plan now, you might as well go, and just flush it because they have nothing. <laughs> and there's the father pleased, and there's the son alive, and there's the plan of redemption of all mankind fully intact. <laughs> you know, just as much today for somebody who hasn't received him as it was on that day and just as much to all of us in all of its facets as it was that day amen so now that we see that let's look at john 14 john 14 thank you lord for the things jesus said to us john 14 why don't we go to 13 that sounds good This is what Jesus said to us, John 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Next verse. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. <laughs> now, 
Now, I want to I want to I key in on something here. He says this before he goes to the cross, but he doesn't mean it yet. And look at verse 20 and we'll uncover. Well, look at verse 19. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you'll see me. Because I live, you'll live also. At, next two words, that day. Got it? So you're with me. At that day, you'll know that I'm in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. What day? Resurrection day. On the day of his resurrection, everything became available to us. That's why resurrection is so important. At that day, the name of Jesus Christ was conferred to his church. If you wanted imagery, it would be like him giving you a signet ring, the king's ring, and it says Jesus Christ. And that's what it is. It's, you know, the Bible says you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that you've been put in a box and preserved. It means that you've been sealed, you've been marked, set apart. You're visible as his, and the Spirit is what seals you. And see, demonic powers and principalities, they can see the seal. They, they, they know the seal. They know who belongs. If you read in Revelation, I think it's in Revelation, there's a, there's a spot where there are some punishments being dispensed, and, and the word is, touch not the oil and the wine. And that's the church, the oil and the wine. The oil being the Hebrews and the wine being the church. Harm not, you understand that it was to go across the earth, but not the ones sealed by the Holy Spirit. They're protected. Amen? So you know that you have this protection in Christ, and it became, the resurrection is the point of this, and it's just beautiful. Just remember, it's just a simple message today, actually, but just remember what he said. Whatever you ask in my name, I'll do. And it seems like the heart of a man, not the born-again spirit, but the heart of a man, because we've heard him say it and because our own flesh cries out, the heart of a man would then say, but isn't that kind of selfish? Because that's what we do, right? We try to be religious and, and outthink God, and we try to think what's right, what God ought to do instead of what he has done, Right? God really shouldn't answer whatever I say because I could be wrong. We do. We try to outthink God. You do it almost every time you ask him for something. You really do. Whether you admit it or not, that's what people do. That's why they have so much trouble getting through. Heaven's open to the believer. God's listening to the believer. He's promised to answer. And the thing of it is we have problems asking because we think we have to outthink God to protect him. Folks, he doesn't need your protection. <laughs> God doesn't need our protection. But just look at what it says. And it's so beautiful. <laughs> if we could just understand it in, in truth, whatever you ask in my name, I will do. Why? Isn't that selfish? So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. When the church asks things of the Father through the Son, it glorifies the Father through the Son. He's glorified when he acts on behalf of the church. When the world aligns itself against you and Satan has you in a corner, it glorifies God 
that the light of God shines from heaven and makes a way for you to walk right through your enemies. It glorifies God. How does it do it through the Son? Because you do it by asking in the name of the Son. The Son glorifies the Father. When you use the name of the Son, the Father's glorified in it. When you say, Jesus, make a way for me. I don't see a way. And you walk through. The Father is glorified. I want you to remember, he's not just glorified on the earth. He's glorified among the powers and principalities that have fallen that didn't know the plan. It says the church is revealing the manifold glory of God. The church is revealing it. He's revealing it through the church. When we don't ask, he can't be glorified, folks. When you ball up in the corner and cry, you're not glorifying him. I don't want to say that you might be embarrassing him, but might be (laughs) because he asked you to ask he didn't ask you to cry and I mean I'm just reading it he asked you to believe and ask he didn't ask you to cry he didn't ask you to figure it out yourself those that wait on the Lord shall what renew their strength amen they'll be renewed amen those that fight their, try to fight their way out of the paper bag, they can't fight their way out of, get tired, frustrated, and they curl up and cry, and they don't get answers from God, and then they whine and complain and say, God's not who he says he is. He doesn't work for me. I'm, I'm not saying I've never been one of those, but I'm just saying it is true. Right? What if we just believed him? If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. Now, if you see a happily married couple, he's not going to divorce them so you can marry one of them. That's against his word, so don't be stupid. (laughs) Let's don't just be stupid. I mean, you know, it's the things that he's given us. That's why it's so important to read the Bible and go to church, right? To be a part of the functioning body of Christ, to learn what his will is. If we know what his will is, we can so easily ask according to it, can't we? Don't you know? I grew up hunting, and I, years ago, we, we hunted wild turkeys. We still do, but, and people would always try to call a turkey. They'd say, you got to call him over here, you know? Well, that's stupid. I finally figured that out one day. I didn't have anybody teach me. I had to learn it myself. I'd go out there and try to call a turkey, right? You're trying to call him somewhere over there. Why don't you just figure out where he wants to go and call him there? Oh, my gosh. Then you go up 100% success rate. You know, he already wants to go there. So just figure out where he wants to go and go call over there. He's going to walk over there, right? So if you know the will of God and you ask according to the will of God and he's already promised you I'll answer you, then guess what you know? You have confidence before him in your asking that he will answer your every prayer. Amen? Isn't that great? And you know what that means? He really will. And, and it's not selfish. It glorifies him. It glorifies. That's what. That's the word that he said. It glorifies me when I help you. When you need my help. That's why he told Paul. He said, hey, in your weakness, in me, you'll be strong. The point is it has to glorify me. I need you, Paul, to look weak. I need you to have weak points, and I need to be able to lift you so that it can be me. It can't be you, Paul. See, Paul wanted to walk around with no problems. 
really and truly, if you got down to his heart, he had such a revelation of God. He understood so much about God. He had such the power of God working in him. And he was complaining. He's like, God, why can't I just walk without problems? Really, that's literally what the conversation really was between Paul and God. He's like, how in the world does this crap keep, excuse my language, keep coming against me? You ever feel that way? How does this stuff keep coming against me? I'm supposed to be walking in you. How in the world? And God said, wait a minute, dude, it don't work that way. It has to be evident that it's me, Paul. You have to come against things and then call on me and I'll move them for you. And then people will see that it's me and it'll draw them to me. I don't want them drawn to you, Paul. You're a nice guy and everything, but you're not a savior. You know? And, and you know the Word of God. You know the Word of God. It tells you, be happy when trials come your way. And Jesus felt so strongly, didn't he, about this? Honestly, didn't he feel so strongly about this that when one of his best friends died, he, he, said, he said, this is not unto death, but this is so the Father can be glorified. You see, he knew. He said, you know, this, these kind of things are going to happen. This terrible stuff's going to happen. But, you know, God put us here to call on him so he can be glorified through these things. And, you know, that doesn't mean so we lose them all, by the way. You, you defeat as Christians. And there are, some, there are some Christians out there that think in losing they win. And I don't want to be the one saying that because Jesus never lost. Jesus is the only one that had to go to a cross. Nobody else does. And it, it bothers me that so many Christians act like when they lose and they don't get what they ask for from God, like they're some kind of victor or something. And like they're going to the cross, you know. But Jesus went to the cross. That burden's been paid. So things will come against you. But remember what he said, in this world you'll have trouble. But he didn't say you'll lose to it. He said, but take heart, I've overcome this world. He didn't say, I need you to. He said, I have. That's past tense last time I checked. I have overcome this world. I've overcome this world. Who did he do it for? You think he did it for him? He was over this world already. <laughs> ah, I've overcome this world for you. I've overcome this world for you. It's not always going to look the way you wanted it to either. Is it? John 15. John 15, 7. 15, 7. Lord, you're so good. We just praise you this morning. This is the promise he made to us. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you'll ask. You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Now, the problem I have sometimes is there's no timeline given. <laughs> and I'm like, God, I want it done in like eight hours. He's like, well, I didn't promise that. But I did promise. How long can you believe for? Can you believe for as long as it takes? If you're in Christ, you can because his faith endures. I mean, the faith of God endures. That's what it does. You know, can you believe? When you're at the end of your rope, can you believe? I want to tell you, you're not being asked to do anything Jesus didn't do. He believed to the last drop of blood and continued believing. He really did. 
So you have an example, not me, you have an example of somebody who went to the cross believing, died believing, bled out believing, but you know what? He was resurrected from the dead believing. <laughs> he would, you understand? Do you get that? Jesus didn't lose. God brought him back from the dead in just three days. He paid the full sin debt and rose again from the dead in just three days. Everything intact and all of the authority in heaven and earth been given unto him. That's not a loss. That's a win in any way you look at it. Amen? So in 15.7, we were just reading that. If you abide in me, my word abides in you. It's important that the word abide in you because then you know what to ask for, right? Then you know how to ask. If you don't stay in the Bible, you won't know how to ask. Um, be careful. There are, I don't know the right word to use, but the word that comes to mind is tenants. There are tenants of Christianity. There are veins of Christianity out there that are, you know, you almost want to say more basic veins of Christianity. <clears throat> and they tend to, to lean towards, they have no clue what the will of God is. I'll never forget when I first became teaching Bible like 15 years ago, I was teaching on the will of God. And this lady, I mean, she'd been in church her whole life, you know, good good woman. And she said, so you're saying, how, how in the world am I supposed to know the will of God? I mean, how, do, how am I supposed to pray the will of God? You're talking about praying the will of God. Who in the world knows the will of God? Y'all, it totally, it totally blew her mind that somebody would say they would know the will of God. And it totally blew my mind that somebody wouldn't. I couldn't imagine somebody that was filled with the Spirit and had started reading their Bible that didn't begin to at least understand the will of God. And so I, we couldn't connect. I couldn't get where, I couldn't go where she was, you know, and so I said, well, what do you mean? She goes, who in the world knows the will of God? I'm like, it's right here. It's right here. Everything this says is the will of God. Blew her mind. Been in church 30-something years. Husband, leader, praise and worship, this, that, and other. Guys, there's a, there are veins of Christianity in the church that believe they don't know that you can't know the will of God. If God says you're healed, what's the will of God? He didn't, he didn't start out lying, nor did he finish lying. If God says you're blessed, what are you? Blessed. If you don't find you're blessed, find out where you're hindering him. Notice I said where you're hindering him. <laughs> find out where you're hindering him because his will remains the same. Amen. I'm not saying I don't block God. I'm saying I do, but I'm saying he doesn't block me according to his will. He wants me to run the race. It glorifies him. It glorifies him. Amen. Doesn't it? Yeah, it does. John fifteen sixteen says this. Um, I just want to read this real quick. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. Now, I want you to understand, he didn't choose you to save you. Good Christian brothers and sisters, not just to save you. I heard it growing up. We went to revival, and that's the way they talk. So. But I want you to see this. I chose you, and I appointed you that you would bear fruit. There's no tree in the garden of God that doesn't produce fruit. That's a joke and a lie. 
from the pit of hell. I would like to say from the pit of hell because it's like a religious thing to say, right? But the truth is, I don't know where it came from, but the truth is there is no tree in the garden of God that doesn't produce fruit. He doesn't put up with it. If God speaks a tree and he says peach, that tree better start making peaches or he's going to uproot it and plant it with something that will. He does not have time for that. And so it's important for me that I understand that. When he looks at me, am I producing fruit or am I taking up space in this garden? You know? And um, I got to get with that. We all got to get with that. But um, he said, I chose you and appointed you. You should bear fruit and that your fruit will remain. And look at the rest of it, though, because it ties in. I want you to see this. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. How do you produce fruit, folks? When your prayers go forth in accordance with the will of God and they're answered to the view of the many, it produces fruit. You know what, you know what that really means? What does it mean? I, I want to share something with you. Let's, let's get real just for a minute because this is scary. This is scary. Some of you didn't grow up in church. You're a blessing. Honestly, you're a blessing in a lot of ways because you didn't get a lot of bad junk in the South, okay? There's a lot of junk in the South in church, probably a lot of junk everywhere in the church, quite honestly. But let's just say this. I don't know if you've noticed, but almost today, almost today, some places you go, they pray just to pray. They never expect to be answered. I've been to those churches, man. Every Wednesday night, we prayed for the same women, same men. And I'll tell you, the Lord listening, him looking on me and controlling the beat of my heart and could stop it if he wanted to. Many people in that room had no care, no thought, no concern whether he answered or not and didn't have any expectation that he would. Just going through some motion. And I would say up to and including the one leading a lot of times. And you know what? We never saw answers. And it didn't bother folks. And that's what's so sad. Is we've gotten so religious almost to the point where when we don't hear from God, it doesn't bother us. We've gotten so religious to the point almost that when somebody actually says they hear from God, we look at them like they're crazy. When they should, because we're one. You know? This shouldn't be. This should not be. We've been reading right here, and everywhere we've read it says, Ask my name, I'll answer. Ask my name, I'll answer. Doesn't it? Every time. Ask my name, I'll answer. And how do you get to the point, having come from that heritage, that it's okay to ask in his name and not get an answer? That should, people should be, you know, they, should, they shouldn't be able to sleep at night. They should be so concerned why, where they left God. Really, shouldn't we? I mean, if we're not hearing from him and he's not answering like he said, what have we done? Where is the problem? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's something we're staying up all night fasting and praying about. We may have left God somewhere. He may have left us, you know, not that he would, but I'm just saying we may have walked off from where he was and it doesn't bother folks. Scary. 
Scary. I mean, I need him. I need him just to make it. I mean, we need him just to pay bills. We need him just to just to have rain, for goodness sake. And, I, I, you know, you think you don't, and then you have a month and a half of drought, and you remember. You know, people start to then, oh, there's a God in heaven. Yeah. And had we been praying for rain and thanking him for his blessing, we probably never would have had a drought. You know, it's, it's, it's just interesting how things work. But consider this thing in, in, in 15, verse 20, if you will. You there? This is what he says. Remember the word I said to you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Right? If they, and if they kept my word, they'll keep yours. Well, look at this. All these things they'll do to you for my name's sake. How is it legal for you to be persecuted for the name of Jesus? That's right. Because here's, here's my point with this. If the name wasn't given to you to use, it wouldn't be legal for you to be persecuted on behalf of the name. So obviously, Jesus literally, I don't know how to describe it, but he literally gave you his checkbook with his name on it, with his promises as the backup in the account, and you are persecuted because you have the right to that name. And it's legal for you to be persecuted because you're in him. And if it weren't so, you couldn't be persecuted for something you don't have. So it's evidence that the name has been bestowed upon the church, the name of Jesus Christ, to use, and the Father answers. Amen? It's evident. It's clearly evident. You're not being persecuted because of who you are. You're being persecuted because of who he is. You're being persecuted because of the seal or the mark of the Spirit of Jesus Christ upon you which is evidence it's there. And it's also evidence that you can use the name. Does that make sense? It's legal evidence. Now, John 16, since we're here, verse 22. He's talking to his disciples before he goes to the cross here, Jesus is, and this is what he says. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I'll see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your love, your joy, no one will take from you. All right? We're going to look at the next word in verse 23 there. And in that day, resurrection day, in that day, you'll ask me nothing. In other words, Jesus won't need to be standing there. How many of you, how, and don't raise your hands, but when you're really, really in bad shape, you say, Jesus, I wish you'd just walk in the room. That's what we tend to do. We tend to say, Jesus, would you just give me a word? Would you just walk in the room? Would you just show up? I want you to know he doesn't have to. You're asking for something that doesn't have to happen. It's proven right here. In that day, he says, you'll ask me nothing. It wouldn't make any difference if he walked in. You are in him, and he's in you. He can't get any closer, you see. Does that make sense? If I could indwell Tony, it wouldn't make me closer to Tony to go stand by him. 
Come on, realize the revelation here. If Tony was right here and I was a spirit and I could indwell Tony, I'd be closer to him on the inside than I could be asking. There's no reason for him to say, Lee, come be near me. Come be near me. I can't get any closer on the outside than I already am feeling him on the inside. So me crying out if I were to and saying, Lord, help me. If I could just see you, if I could just get a word from you. Again, you already have the word. And the word is in you. It can't get any closer. You don't need anything else from God. You just need to believe what's been said. That's it. He can't get any closer. He's infused you. (laughs) You know, when you invited him in, he infused you. And when you were baptized in the Holy Ghost, he filled you. And this morning... When you prayed in the Spirit and you said, Lord, give me a fresh feeling. I need to be filled. You know what he did? He did it. And you know how? It's promised. It says, he gives to those who ask. How much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's what the Bible says. It's a direct quote. How much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In other words, he'll give you more than you ask. If you're just bold enough just to say, Lord, fill me, he'll overflow you. And it's a promise. It can't get any closer. It's my self-doubt that blocks me everywhere I walk every day. It's my self-doubt and my natural feeling of detachment from him. But it has nothing to do with him. He indwells me. His word is with me. It's in my heart and on my lips. It's the word I believe. Amen. Isn't it? Isn't it for you? It's the word you believe. The Lord goeth before me and maketh a way for me, maketh a table before me in the midst of my enemies. Amen. Doesn't he? Doesn't he? He does. Do you ask it? Are you asking it? If you're not getting it, it may be that you're not asking it. Could be. In that day, you'll ask me nothing, most assuredly. You see what he says? In that day, you'll ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, He'll give you. Jesus won't have to be standing beside you. Whatever you ask the Father in his name, he'll give you. Amen? This is what he said, until now you've asked nothing in my name. And, of course, it took that day, resurrection day, for this to be made whole. Now, so we could just speed up a little bit now. Um, it's, It's interesting in terms of that day Matthew 28:10 Jesus after he was resurrected met with the women he said tell the guys tell our, tell our, tell my brothers go to Galilee to the place I've instructed them to go and I'll meet with him if you will when you get home it's kind of interesting Galilee's a place it's a place and it actually means like a ring or a circle and it's like a ring or a circle of cities or towns and it's it, it's been referred to since way back in, in way before first kings even way back in the bible but what's interesting the root of that word means the opening of doors like if you have those doors on your closet that fold you know what i'm talking about that's pretty much what the root of that word means now isn't it interesting jesus says meet me on the mountain in galilee where the door to heaven opens up Galilee. That's what Galilee means. The root of it means the folding of doors. He told him, he said, meet me where there's an open heaven now. Amen. And that's what he told him. And he stood there in that place 
And this is what he charged them with. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me now. That's what he told them. that, That was his message to deliver. At the resurrection, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go. You know what he's saying? Use my name. Go. It's all mine now. I can do what I want, and I'm sending you. Go, ask, receive, so that the Father can be glorified. That's been his instruction all down the line, right? You're going to ask in that day. He's been priming them. We've been through four chapters, 14, 15, and 16. He's been priming them. Ask my name, you shall receive. Ask my name, you shall receive. Ask in accordance with my will and my name, you shall receive. It's been going right down the line. Now it's that day. He looks at him. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go. What's he telling him? Ask in my name, you shall receive, Father be glorified. In doing so, you'll make disciples. Why? Because they'll know that God is with you because when you ask and he answers, God is with you. If you just pray to pray, nobody ever sees that God's with you. You remember? Elijah on the hill, and he had his offering and the priests of Baal, or you know, they they had their offering. What they prayed all day long, and what happened? Nada, because nobody was listening. They didn't know God. They didn't have a relationship with God. They weren't authorized to speak on behalf of God, and they didn't represent God. They had been leading those people like they did. They were a sham and a lie, and they were exposed. Because somebody who knew God walked up and said, all right, well, let's find out. Let's find out. The one who hears from God is with God. Am I right? So when a church prays and doesn't expect to hear, what kind of mess are we in? You know? Ask my name, you shall receive. The Father's glorified. (laughs) Right? Resurrection Day is beautiful. Now, what's our part? It's legally given. What's our part? Mark 16, 17. Mark 16, 17 is our part. And those who believe in my name shall what? And all those who believe in my name shall... There's a couple of things there. Uh-huh. Cast out demons, lay hands on the sick, they'll recover, speak in new tongues. Amen. These signs shall follow them that believe in my name, that believe my name has been given to them, that believe my name has been given to them, that believe in the power I've given to them in my name, that believe in John 14, 15, and 16, where I said, ask in my name and it shall be done. Those that can believe that shall cast out devils, shall speak with new tongues, and other things. Look at the next verse. Verse 18. Take up serpents. That doesn't mean pick up snakes. You can do that with a hoe, folks. That's talking spiritually. 
Seriously, he's talking spiritually. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and the sick shall recover. What's your part? Believe the name's been given. Have the guts to believe the name has been given and use it. See, Jesus said you have to ask. 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 What's your part? Ask. Ask. Be willing to ask. You mean stand up in front of people and ask? Ask. You have to ask. What's our part? To ask, to believe in the name. We have an example. We don't need to read it. But uh, there's an example in Acts 3. I'll just describe it. Uh, Peter and John going up to the temple at the ninth hour to pray. You know the story, right? But it's a good story because of the testimony that's given in it in Acts 3. And they go up, and, and there's a man that's been, I think, lame for, for a very long time, and he's just begging alms. He sits there at the opening of the temple, you know, and t- gets money every day. And, um, of course, they didn't bring their wallets or whatever, so they're there, and he's begging alms, and Peter looks at him and says, look at, look at us, because he's just kind of sitting there. He probably didn't have any self-esteem, folks. He's a man, couldn't earn a living. Sitting there, can't walk. I mean, think about it. That's about as sad as it gets, you know. He didn't have any self-esteem. He didn't look at him. Peter said, look at us. You have worth. God made you. Trying to get him to look up, you know. You're a human being. You have some dignity. And that's something that the first thing Peter did was love him. Peter said, I'll look at you. You have worth to me. And so then he looked up, and he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. He says he reached out his right hand, got the guy started picking the guy up. Can you imagine how stupid that must have looked to all the onlookers? He's picking that cat up, man. That cat ain't walked in 20 years. He guy struggles up, and as soon as he struggled up, his feet were made whole, legs made whole. The guy goes jumping, leaping around, happy. And people went nuts. And it went to the point where Peter said he thought they were almost worshiping him, he and, he and John, you know, and he said, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's just get this clear and if you read it, it's so cool because it says, <laughs> it, it's the name of Jesus and faith in the name that has made this man whole. We have to be clear in the church. It's not just the name of Jesus. It's that he was willing to, Mark 16, 17, I mean, yeah, Mark 17, 16, 17. He was willing to believe in the name of Jesus. He was willing to use it, you see. The man didn't. Peter did. Peter said, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, stand. Right? He said, it's the name and faith in the name that has healed this man. It's both the name and faith in the name that will glorify God, every human being in this room. The resurrection was about the kingdom of God coming to earth. It was about the power of God being loosed to men. That's who you are. If you haven't done this, begin, in, begin personally. Ask God for things in your life. Begin to lean on him. Quit leaning on the world. You'll never be able to eat an elephant when you haven't strained out a gnat. Begin. This is your training time. I don't know how long it may be. It may not be long. Begin to lean on God for your money, for your health. 
everything. It amazes me how many people go to a spirit-filled church and have never leaned on God for anything. You just suggest that they, you know, you say, well, you believe in God. Sure. Well, then do this. It blows their mind to actually, like, really trust God. You know, like, are you serious? Like, really? Yeah, that's what it's all about. It's all about, like, if the world quit tomorrow, the Christians could keep going because we don't need them. We have him. And it's really like what it's really like, you know? It's like if everything quit tomorrow, you realize, you understand the promise that was up there, right? If all the water's polluted, who's going to live? Remember, remember Mark 16, 17, what it's saying? If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm them. If all the waters were polluted, who would live? Amen. Come on, get it in your head, well, who you are. Wake up, let it be real. Come on. These demons that afflict people, take them up. Take them up. <laughs> it doesn't say next year. It says if you believe in the name, start now. If you don't pray in tongues, pray in tongues. It says that they will speak in other tongues. Be glad to help you with that. It's not a joke. It's the reality of Christendom. It's who we are. It says they'll lay their hands. Isn't that what Peter did? He took his hands. He grabbed that guy. He lifted him up. He said, and they'll recover, right? Read the word of God and dispel the unbelief from the church. Reject it. Reject unbelief. Reject it. Amen? It's your birthright. I said that right. It's your birthright. I don't know who your mom and daddy are, but I know if you're in Christ, that's your birthright. And it's far above anything you can get on earth. So it's your birthright that if you walk with God, you walk in protection, divine protection. You're, you and your house, it's your birthright that when the world's not making money, provision flows to you. It's your birthright that if there's poisonous water, somebody can make it whole. You know, the prophet one time took salt and threw it in the water. And it cleaned, purified the whole stream for a mil probably a million people to drink from it. God hasn't changed. He knows there's corruption in the world, but it doesn't affect his people. Not if they believe in him.